Welcome to the show that punches you in the face with information. Welcome to the Enterprise Fitness Podcast. My name is Mark Atobri, owner and founder, and I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by two of our enterprise trainers. We've got Jason all the way from Ireland and Shane, the Frenchman himself. Yep. Welcome, gents. All right, today's show, we are getting into training, myths, debunked, secrets, my philosophies. These guys are some of our new trainers here at Enterprise, so we thought it would be really fun to get these guys on a podcast and rapid fire me questions on training and unpack my brain for all of you. And these guys will have some fun asking me questions. So Jason, you won the rock, paper, scissor. I did, so I'll kick things off. Yes. Perfect, so when it comes to a lot of my clients, a lot of them are very busy, they're CEOs, they're just always very hectic lifestyles. So my question for you, Mark, was how do you actually keep them to stick to their plans or their the schedules, the training regimes? Yeah. What kind of tips or implements or strategies do you implement in their lives? Well, firstly, never give someone advice that they're not going to be able to implement. So it's always understanding people's commitment levels because the analogy or the, the example I give, you know, if I told you five amazing things, but you only implemented three of them, you would feel like you failed. Whereas if I told you to do one amazing thing and you implemented one of those things this week, you felt like you won. And then next week, I tell you to implement something else and you feel like you win again. And then that's where we stack behaviors and success breeds more success. So how do I get these people to stick is someone will say to me, oh, I can train two to three days a week. I'll say, great, let's train two. Not three, let's train two. Why? Because I know you can do two. And then once you get comfortable with two, then maybe four weeks or three weeks, how do you feel about training an extra day? And at that point, because things and the training routine starts to be feel familiar, and you'll either, you'll either get, yes, I can do that straight away, or now I realize how much time and effort it takes to be able to do this. I, I can't commit to that. And that's also fine because what you do want is you want to have an accurate representation of what someone is able to do. You, you want to have the map laid out because once you have the map laid out, then you can start making decisions and also then cater goals. So for example, if someone says, I want to win a bodybuilding competition and put on 10 kilos of lean mass in, I don't know, six months, it's very, that's going to take a lot of, sorry, my leg just cramped. <laughs> that's going to take a lot of work, effort and things compared to training. This is really putting me on. <laughs> For those who can't see on the YouTube, my, yeah, I had my electrolytes, my hamstrings just cramped. Funny time to do it on a podcast. No, but the, those folks, you need to make sure that the goal is the expectations are set is where I'm going mm -hmm. to, right? So the expectation needs to match the work that's going to put in. So if they're only doing, as I said, if they're only going to do once a week, they can't expect to win a bodybuilding competition with working out once a week, right? Mm. The, the effort needs to match the goal. And if they can only train twice a week, that's fine. Maybe their results are a little bit slower, but we want to get long-term results. So we want a value stack. We want, sorry, we want a behavior stack. Once we can stack those behaviors, then we're able to obviously create that outcome. And then habits are formed and those habits become patterns of the groundwork for a liable change. Yeah. Mm. So, you would start so you would start with the patterns. Yeah, the, the things that they can absolutely commit to. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, yeah, how you split that up. Do you do whole body? Do you do upper body? Do you do lower body? All those things, they're, they're great. Yes, obviously you can, you can take a varied approach on that depending, what you wanna, depending on the client, right? But I think for people who are busy, the, the biggest win, first of all, is to get them set up in a routine and get them going. And yes, how they spend that time, if they've got only two hours a week to train, how they spend that time, you want to get the most out of your workout. Mm. That's where people do come here because they know that for the time spent, they're going to get maximal and optimal return from that. 
so it makes sense to spend time with a trainer if you've only got so much time to spend on, on exercise. Yeah, I think that's probably, that's where I, I begin is just being really real with time that they can commit and the expectation of what they're after for their goals. Yeah, what if the time is changing constantly, like they don't find out until they can't come to the gym on the day. They got an emergency meeting, they have to go somewhere. Right now they have to fly to Sydney, they have to do something like that. So the times you made no longer work. Yeah, so I think the first question I'd ask is, are there times where you absolutely know you can train? For example, they might have a really hectic period or Monday through to Friday, but they know they can train. And then also then what can they do when they're, they're flying? Can they mm. train at a, in their lunchtime? But I think there's always things that people can do, but they immediately rule out a lot of the time. And it's just some, sometimes asking the questions and getting comfortable with, like, because when I travel, I find, always find a gym. Why? I, I actually enjoy finding gyms when I travel to see what, uh, where, what gyms are around. Mm. I enjoy going to other gyms because I love training. Yep. For me, if someone traveled with me, it wouldn't be uncommon to see a bunch of different gyms on, on the travel, right? But it's getting people's head. And then once people start doing that and they start behaving like this, they realize, oh, actually I can, when I'm away, I can go to the gym at this other gym and pay the 20 bucks, whatever it is, and do a workout. And that's where can, you know how to train yourself. It just, it does become a lot except easier. Except if it's a hotel gym and there's nothing except treadmills and ellipticals, right? Sorry? You can't really train yourself. If you have a hotel gym? Yeah. Oh, look, I've stayed at hotel gyms, but sometimes the answer is go on your Google phone. Closest gyms. Right. What you find, and that's what I do. People say oh, there's only a hotel gym. Yeah. Can you drive? Is there a big gym? And if there is only a hotel gym, see what the hotel gym has. You can always do push-ups. Is there a chin-up bar? Can you do core work? Can you do mobility work? There's, there's always, if you think hard enough, at the very least, you go for a walk. Some, sometimes it is about, I think Will Smith said it best. It's easier to stay ready than it is to get ready. And he was saying this about his movies, that he just stays ready he was always ready for his the next big role and i think with tra and that's exactly the mentality that i have especially when it comes to training is that if i say hurt myself or get injured or something happens i don't stop training because it's harder to get back into training right yeah but you can have that mentality where you are ready it's a lot easier to stay ready than it is to get ready shane how similar would you train an athlete in regards to their sport how similar would I charge train an athlete in regards to their sport? Yeah. Explain. Let's say, for example, a golfer. Yep. Right. So he basically does this, the swing, yep. right? So he wants to go to the, come to the gym and improve his performance. How would you train him? Would you get him with a barbell or would you like attach those swing things? Definitely on? not. Definitely not. So, so this probably the best example is with boxing, right? So shadow boxing with what, or shadow boxing with dumbbells in your hands makes no sense. It's actually a, a bad thing to do. For a boxer the reason why it's a bad thing to do is because let's say the boxer's hand weighs five kilos right when i'm pushing out they, they punch straight out when you've got dumbbells attached they're now using the front delt to punch but they don't use their front delt to punch normally if that makes sense so you're now training the neuromuscular mechanics of the way they punch they're doing shadow boxing and now they're using their front delt way more than they would if they were just normally throwing a punch, if that makes sense. So yeah, it's completely... I've heard it reduces speed as well. Absolutely, yeah. because you're, you're, you're fucking with their pattern and you don't fuck with an athlete's pattern of how they do the sport at, say, body weight. So mm. with a golf swing, you're not going to get better at golf. So if your club is, let's say, two kilos and then you get a 10-kilo club and you start swinging with a 10-kilo club, that ain't going to cross over to you swinging better. What it is going to make you better is swinging with a 10-kilo club. It's a specific skill. The other way you want to look at it is this is how you look at training athletes is number one, you look at what are the muscles involved in that sport. 
So for example, golfers, lats, core stability, huge rotation and being able to stabilize through rotation of the spine. QL, glutes. For a golfer, for example, definitely lats, obliques, abs, everything that's in that, involved in that transverse, that rotational plane of motion, that's what I want to get stronger. Mm. So I'm going to use a wide grip chin-up. I'm going to use, say, landmines. Mm. I'm going to use a lot of core work. And I'm going to use a lot of stability work and things are going to stabilize the spine. I'm going to use, say, even a deadlift. I'm going to use farmer's walks or even counterbalance farmer's walks because it's going to be challenging unilateral sides and, and counterbalance sides. Same with the boxer. One of the things I'm definitely going to use is a close grip incline press, but I'm never going to put dumbbells in their hands. My, my job as a strength coach is to upgrade the hardware. I'm not going to fuck with their software, right? Their software is up to the skills coach. Go to your golfing coach to make you a better golfer. I will just make sure that you can golf pain-free and you have no limitations. And then when you do hit the ball, you hit the ball further and harder because you have more muscle and there's no, how do I say, there's no inhibition from the muscle and there's nothing mobility-wise that's causing you not to create a full rotation. That's what a good strength coach does. Good strength coach does not make them a better, they don't make them better at their sport directly. They make them a better athlete which enables them to be better at their sport. Yeah, yeah. You've trained a couple of athletes. Yeah. Yeah, so what kind of, what would you take into account when you're building their programs? I know you've mentioned like the exercise and stuff, but how would you program them for success? So the first thing is like, what's their sport, right? So no, no, the first thing is there's so much nuance in the actual sport itself. Like if you look at some of the top guys in the world who coach different sports, most guys who coach top sports don't coach multiple sports. They coach one sport really fucking well because there's nuance in sport. And you got, and it's not to say you can't cross over because there are guys who have, and we've done it here a few, bunch of times, but the, the point is there is nuances with training. My, my thing was, like, was competitors for a long time, like physique athletes, which isn't really a sport, as, as like performance sport so much, but then I went to boxers and I really got good at training boxers, right? Or being the strength coach for boxers. The things that I looked at was a boxer, and this is what I did with Andrew was, we looked at his heart rate when he spars and this was something that shocked me because I thought his heart rate, say during a sparring match would go from, I don't know, 180 to 160, down to 150, back to 180 and the heart rate would have some variability. It didn't. Round one, 160, 160, 170. Mm. Round two, it went down a little bit, like in the middle of the, the rest, went down. So sometimes we'll get down to 150, 140 and then it'd go back up 180, 170 and it'll just stay there for three minutes. And that surprised me because I wasn't expecting that. I thought there'd be much more variability, but this is where the more data you have on your athlete, the better you can make decisions. I looked at that and I went, huh, okay. When I'm doing conditioning work for this guy, it's not, there is no, in, in three minutes, if he's fighting for three minutes, which he is, he doesn't get time off for that three minutes. Because now we're making, so what I did was I came up with circuits for him, really hard fucking circuits. Some of them are actually on YouTube. And he had to work for three minutes and I gave him 60 seconds. So our energy system work was three minutes on, one minute off. Three minutes on, one minute off. Three minutes on, one minute off. The reason for that is that's his fight. Mm. So I was, again, if you talk about the, the pyramid of specificity in sport, I was preparing him for a singular thing. If he, needed, he didn't need to be good for four minutes. He didn't need to be good for three and a half minutes. He needed to be good for three. And when he was an amateur, he needed to be good for two minutes. So guess what our energy systems was? It was two minutes. It wasn't three minutes. 
So you've got to have specificity in what you're actually trying to prepare for. So is there, say with golf, for example, golf, there isn't, well, there isn't any energy system demand. Uh, hitting the ball multiple times in a day, but it's more about getting them strong and then being able to prepare. But once they hit that ball, they have ample time to recover before they hit the ball again, right? It's not a big deal in golf. Understanding the sport, understanding the mechanics of the sport, understanding the, the energy demands of the sport, that's going to inform what needs to be strong and specifically in what ranges of motion because it's not a case like say in boxing i don't need them i mean it'd be nice if they can do say a front a full depth front squat but it's not necessarily a need it's more of a want hmm. but i do need them to have a strong posterior chain because they are going to get pushed against their fighter so that's where deadlifting for example if i've only got two workouts a week with a boxer I'm probably going to choose a deadlift over a front squat every day of the week, m- most of the time, depending on the athlete's. Would you go more important. Um, bilateral or unilateral? Depends on the athlete. I'm always going to be opting. Depends on dysfunction. So if someone's dysfunctional, then you're always starting with unilateral. But as an expression of strength, it's bilateral. So no one does. No one cares about what the one-legged maximum squat is. <laughs> no one cares about what the, mm. the one-handed dumbbell bench I'm, press I'm is. I'm asking because like, he, he, he wouldn't... Uh, give two punches at the same time. Like no. We've got one, one at the same Yeah, but as I said, this is where the line of thought. So you, these are only indicator lifts, the indicator of performance. So you're not, you're using them as an indicator that the athlete is getting stronger. And the most important thing with indicator lifts is that they, how do you say, controlled. As in, there is variation, say, there can be variation with, say, dumbbell press. There is no variation. And that would be a supplementary movement to being able to perform a bilateral movement. So the performances are still going to be and the testing is still going to be bilaterally for sure. For sure. Because it's more standardized. And that's why you use it. It's because you want a standardized method. So even like the tempo and cadence of the lowering is going to be four seconds down, one second up. Not three seconds, not two seconds, four seconds for an athlete because you do want to control the variables. You absolutely want to control the variables and compare apples with apples. Yeah. And then you would like progress to more uh, of a powerful move compared to a more of a strength move like periodization towards the no for the indicator lift we're going to be we're only picking one indicator lift so say for example for my boxer i'm not choosing even a flat bench i'm choosing an incline barbell bench press for my boxer because shoulders are also more involved but that's going to be the indicator lift that all my supplements so if i do power work then i'm still going to measure my power work and my outcome of my power work did it make this lift stronger as well so it should make everything else stronger but i'm still going to be using that as a measuring tool because you want to make sure your measuring tool never changes. It's not like I'm going to do like incline barbell press now and then I'm going to two months, I'm going to change to a medicine ball throw. How am I going to measure the medicine ball throw? Very hard. Hmm. It's very hard. To, you can use it, measure it with distance. Yeah, sure, you could. But I still want to have the strength aspect covered as a measurable. So as I'm developing power, yes, power is obviously very important. But power and strength obviously are closely correlated if you have a base of strength you will be able to become more powerful but if you're powerful and you're not getting any more power it's probably because you're too weak that's where you got to work on strength and again the job of the strength coach is to pick up do i need to work on power do i need to work on strength i would say for, for most high-end athletes top athletes it's always a case of more strength before putting power in mm. because most good athletes they're pretty powerful they're just not strong enough and there's dysfunction and when you, you do things like give them a test, things start to collapse. Into boxers. Did they come to you or was that an interest Yeah, they came you had? to me. Interesting story. My mentor, Charles Poliquin, he has the PIC, Poliquin. So he's passed away now, late and great Charles Poliquin. He 
had a program called the Poliquin International Certification Poliquin International Certification Program, hmm. and there was levels one through to five. And to be a level five, you had to either train an MVP, MVP of a pro sports team, like NFL, NHL. Yep. Obviously, we're Aussies, so I ruled that one out. Or, or it'd be like a Brownlow medalist, our equivalent in AFL. Or you had to train a Commonwealth Games gold medalist or an Olympian. That, I think I had to finish top three in the world. So it's very hard to get. And I remember Janet and I had a lot of wins with the competitors that I was training. I think Janet won her fourth Australian title. And I said, Charles, Janet's won fourth Australian. She's competing internationally. She wins everything. He said, Mark, physique, comps, you, you train bumfuck athletes, train a real athlete and then come back. I was like, <laughs> fuck you, Charles. Charles is a very interesting guy, right? Yeah, yeah. He's straight up. But he, he, he always pushed me to do, he, he always pushed, he pushed everyone to do better, right? And that was his way of saying to me, work harder, which I said, accept. Then Power of the Universe, two weeks later, I get an email from a guy I used to do be in a call center with and uh, when I was much, much younger. And I thought he was fucking with me because he sent me this resume and it said on it, sparring partner of Floyd Mayweather, sparring partner of Costa Zoo, sparring partner of every like famous boxer you could possibly think of. Mm. And I called him up. I went, man, what's going on? He goes, yeah, did you get my email? I go, yeah. He goes, do you want to work with him? I'm like, yeah, but is this a real guy? He's like, yeah, we'll come down to the gym tomorrow. You'll meet him. I'm like, so I met Freddie, Freddie Tooks. Shout out to Freddie. And uh, Freddie's an amazing guy. And he was my first boxer that I trained. And, and Lee saw all the work that I was doing with the physique athletes. So that got my foot in the door. So I was getting really good results. And then he approached me. He was, my friend was the manager of this boxer. And basically we, we made a deal and I coached him. And, and Freddie was going to go for the Australian title because he was always the sparring partner of the world champion. And now he wanted his shot. He won the Australian title. He looked fucking amazing. He looked amazing. And I think he was in his 40s when he fought. And people were like, man, this guy looks incredible. And he looked just jacked. And people would ask, what have you been doing? And he'd say, go see Mark Next Price Fitness. And that kind of got me noticed on the boxing scene. And the person who noticed was young Andrew Maloney. And he heard about me from training Freddie. And then I was speaking to a friend of mine, Belinda, uh, a very old-time client of mine. And we're sharing goals. And I said, look, I want to get my POC level five. And I said, this is, she goes, oh, I know someone. I go, who do you know? She goes, oh, I know Andrew. He wants to go to Commonwealth Games. I go, really? She goes, yeah, I'll introduce you. So introduced me to Andrew. Basically, the meeting went like this. I went, so I want to get my POC level five. You want to win Commonwealth Games gold. So I'm going to coach you for free. I want to get my POC level five. And you're going to get Commonwealth Games gold. <laughs> and he looked at me and he's like, yeah. <laughs> we shook hands. <laughs> yeah. And I became your strength coach. And we coached. I was with Andrew, I think, for the first 11, 12 of his professional fights as well. So all through his amateur career into the start of his professional and now he's gone on to win world championship and doing really great things in Australian boxing him and his brother Jason and that was my foot in the door and then from there we've had quite a few boxers come through our doors uh, again I'm not coaching at the moment I'm really focusing more on the business but yeah I love training the, the fighters it's, it's a lot, it was a lot of fun a lot of fulfillment but that's how I got into it yeah that's fair it's great man yeah yeah. you mentioned you did a lot of circuits with them and they were crazy Yeah, I haven't actually seen the video but um can you tell me so, what was involved so, in that? Yeah, so basically it was a phase of, I wanted to collect data about what their heart rates, I was saying what their heart rates, because I basically wanted to show the boxing coach at the time that they're doing a lot of steady state cardio. And I'm like, it's not really relevant to what you're doing in the ring. because. And then we did tests and I got him to wear his Garmin, did a run, 
and his heart rate would be like 140 static up a hill might get to 180 maybe 160 mm. and then put on sparring and then see what it does and then i was like all right i need to mimic what happens in sparring in the gym in a controlled setting and but push you harder than what you'd get pushed from an aerobic perspective or anaerobic perspective rather i need to push you in a controlled situation harder in here control and obviously get you stronger at the same time as well and obviously the biggest thing is biggest thing i think in training any athlete is time and their recovery they'll push an athlete will will find a way to break through a wall right? yeah uh, a good athlete that injury as well yeah time in, exactly so you can't have their bodies breaking down mm. but you need to get the work in you need to get them stronger they're the variables that you're playing with and yeah with andrew i was looking at uh his heart rate and then i was like all right there has to be a better and as we start cause thing is you have two two athletes have similar skill the stronger one's always going to win because they're stronger the goal is to get them stronger but then when they're leading up to camp the question is they need to be ready because conditioning unlike strength can, you can have a base of conditioning i haven't maxed out on a lift for a long time but the other day i was fucking around on the chin-up and i did 50 kilo chin-up mm. my best is 62 kilos now i haven't done that in a long time i haven't lost my strength what i'm saying is strength takes a really long time to build but once you have it it's there always whereas conditioning it's the easiest thing to gain so if we did an eight-week block all of us of conditioning work we would 100 in eight weeks we would be better conditioning we'd have more specificity for conditioning we did eight block of strength we'd get a little bit stronger but we want to do like 18th block of strength 18 month block of strength right yeah so we build up our conditioning but it's also the first thing to that your body will lose so it means that we, we don't do anything for a while we're going to lose that very quickly so when you're thinking about this for your athletes you always want to think i want to prioritize strength for the most part and then when they get closer to say the fighter event be very specific in the type of type of conditioning it's always that pyramid so at the, the base you have the base which is like your general aerobic work and then as you get closer and closer you want it specific for that event right as, as so the, like olympic athlete for example two weeks out if there's 100 meters bet your bottom dollar they're only doing 100 meters but maybe 18 months out they're going for like longer runs and stuff like this so the specificity point so anyway the circuits basically what i would do i tested a whole bunch of different ones the hardest ones were actually so i'd use three minutes Sometimes I do six exercise. Every exercise was 30 seconds. So it was all time mm -hmm. and it was all challenge based. So basically like what it could look like is we do vertical ball throws, six, but then you had to hit the roof on each one. So if you didn't hit the roof, it was like a bad rep. So if you got- So you, you wouldn't count it, is it? I'd count it, yeah. but he'd be pissed. Okay, fair <laughs> Because he's yeah. not putting as much power. He's not able to repeat the same amount of effort. There's mm. a amount of power, if that makes sense. So yeah. there's measurables there then we might move into say something like 30 seconds of ropes. We should go really super hard for 30 seconds. Then maybe 30 seconds of a prowler push. And then 30 seconds of prowler push, for example, it's like, what's the distance you can cover? Um, 30 seconds of a farmer's walk. How much weight are we using? So that's what I mean by a lot of it was performance-based. 30 seconds of chin-ups with full arm extension. It wasn't like half reps, it had mm. to be 30 seconds. And by that time when we got to the chin-ups, we'd be really tired. Yeah. So how many good chin-ups can you do in 30 seconds? We use that often in our training yeah, and it, it was very hard. And we did change it sometimes to making it like a minute of work, a minute, three exercise. They were really hard, those mm. workouts. But I definitely preferred the six exercise, 30 seconds each, usually three to four rounds, really hard. And then basing it on performance. Like the sled pull, we do sled pulls as well. And when he, in the first round, he would get the whole sled. And then second round, he's only got 60 seconds mm. rest. Second round comes along. He's thinking, because a good athlete, they're going to be competing against themselves. He's like, fuck, I better be able to do this again. Not just do this again, but I want to beat it. 
So this is where the workouts became really mentally tough for him because he was always, I built things in there that he knew if he wasn't working hard enough. And he's the type of athlete that would get pissed at himself. If he didn't hit the, the roof, he'd be pissed. <laughs> and I have to remind him, don't get too upset. Yeah. The winner's be, mentality. Yeah. yeah, winner's mentality. I didn't hit the roof. I want to do it again. I'm like, yeah. no, time's up. You've got to live with it. <laughs> yeah. Like, you've got, and then when we would rest, say on that 60 seconds rest, I'd be like coaching him with breathing in through your mouth, out, in through your nose, out through your mouth, in through your nose, control your heart rate. Try and really try and recover because obviously in a fight, what happens? Your heart rate goes spastic and, you know. Yeah, and you get punched in the face at the same time. Yeah, exactly yeah, right. So it was super hard. So you need to calm yourself down. So that's what I tried to mimic inside of the gym was trying to calm, use it as a safe environment, basically a controlled environment that was able to then calm him down. Like he was able to calm himself down and get control of his mind as well. Yeah. So that's basically the background there. Fair enough. What about his recovery capacity? So if you injured and I'm sure that would be very bad for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what about his lifestyle? What things did you have to like really make sure were on point? For lifestyle? For his lifestyle, just for his recovery capacity. For him, like in the amateur, I think he was working a bit and then he got professional. So he's able to really focus on it. But look, nutrition, I definitely ran his bloods and got sent them over to Christine. So she was helping with those things and like keeping mm -hmm. on top of that with supplementation. So yeah, supplementation, nutrition, the biggest challenge, like if you're working with an athlete like I was that has to hit a weight class, there's only so much food they can eat. Yeah. So that was tough. But I think for me where I hacked, tried to biohack it was looking at is getting christine to look at she looks at all the blood work getting her to look at the blood work then give me feedback on this is what's happening from a blood perspective these are the constraints okay if this is the constraint then we need to either supplement with something that's going to help immune systems so vitamin d vitamin c something like this or you say immune systems being run down you might be getting sick because that did happen right if you push an athlete really hard it's not even the injury because I mean, the two biggest killers of an athlete is injury and illness. So in injury is one thing and you obviously want to avoid any injuries. But the other one that's not as spoken about is illness. Yeah. And if you are super high training volumes, like a boxer, it's hard, right? How do you manage that? And that's where regular blood work and seeing what the immune system's doing. Okay, this is what's happening. We were doing four days a week. This isn't working because you've got all this other stuff. Let's drop to three. You're actually training harder than you ever have. Let's drop to two. Because you are have to manage that. So that was my kind of trapdoor in to look at that. Supplementation, sleep. And then I said like a good athlete's going to be across all these things and be pretty routine in the way they do things. Mm. Yeah. This is more fine like tweaking things. Fine tweaking, soundboard. Mm. A lot of it is collaboration. Yep. It's like, how are you feeling today? Some days like come in and this is with any client. They come in and haven't slept. They're ratchet. Like they're just had a big week. And you got it. This is where you got to read. And I've had this as well. It's harder to coach yourself, obviously, because say my program, it might say six sets of something, six sets of deadlifts with a max. And I, you might have even had a good sleep, but you're just not feeling it. Yeah. And you start moving. James would come up to me, man, and just he would see it, right? He'd be like, Don't. and I'd do the same thing with my athletes. I'd see my athlete move. I'm like, no, nah, it's not happening today. Mm. We're, we're not doing that workout that I wrote was good in theory, but in practice, we're going to be doing something yeah. else today. And you have to make that call as a coach on the fly. And that's where it's like getting regular. Because you see, like many athlete comes in, you get, or any client, they're in a good mood, they're in a bad mood. Okay, they're in a good mood or they're happy or they've got energy. I'm going to smash them today. They're in a bad mood, they're, they're not happy. or not even a bad mood. They're just a bit down, depressed or whatever it is. How's your recovery been? They haven't recovered from the workout last time. Okay, we need a bit more time. You change the workout up. So you, you got to, and for, for people who like the higher the training load is you got to be super cognizant of that 
you gotta be super in tune with your clients of where is the training load at? Because like even say Janet's another example, we won like four Australian titles. I would, a lot of her programs, I was testing her constantly to see where her breaking point was, if that makes sense. I wanted to see her coming to the gym and be fucked. As in, I'm having a down day. Great, we've hit that point. Now we recover, mm. if that makes sense. Because that's where the most growth is. And you want to be able to push it, but you just need to go. What the mistake that most people want is they go there and they don't let people recover and then they get injured. So you want to go to the cusp of that? Great, we're here. You know what we're doing today? <laughs> Walk, you can do anything. Like it doesn't matter, it's just do a work in day. Just light pump, 10 sets of three, four exercises. Done, get a pump, go home, see ya. Yep. That's it. The rest of the week's going to be a light week. Yeah, I imagine but, that's hard to communicate to athletes though. They won't want to do that. No, it's not as hard as you think because like you, you, when they get to that point, like that true point, they know. They're like, man, I just I, like, and I've been there so many times myself mm. is you go from, this is a thing. This is the fuck thing about it. You go from can't wait to work out today. This is going to be amazing. I can't wait to work out. And like the first like two, th- third week comes around. You're like, man, I hate my fucking workout. <laughs> I don't like you start dreading the deadlifts. And you start dreading. And you're like, oh, maybe I'll have another coffee. Maybe I'll eat after meal. Maybe I'll train after meal three. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll do it after meal four. Maybe I'll do it at the end of the day because I have more food. So you'd rather have a forced deload than plan a deload. Well, correct. Not a forced deload is the thing with deloading is a good deload is when you find the person's limit, if that makes sense. You see it coming. There's a program Charles used to run. It's called Super, what is it? Super Compensation. Super, Compensation. Super Accumulation Program. I forget the exact name that he had for it. It's exactly that. You, you do enough sets. The program would start and you start hitting PBs. And then all of a sudden, you start missing lifts. And then when you start missing lifts, you actually train. The purpose is to train until you start missing lifts. And then when you start missing lifts, that's when you do your deload. Because it's reactive, to, in other words. Correct. It's yeah. a reactive deload. Yeah. That's how I like to run. It's reactive deloads. Most people don't qualify for a deload, to be perfectly honest. Most mm. people don't train hard enough to deloads. And people who are training twice a week, even three times a week, don't really need a deload. Depending on, obviously, let's say there are some powerlifters who train three times a yeah. week because they're so strong. if you're a gym bro and you're maxing but out, it, aren't you? Yeah, like if you're, <laughs> well, I mean, for general pop clients and that, yeah. you're not going to be tra- training near the capacity that's going to warrant a deload. So you really need to be lifting substantial amount of weight or substantial volume. And you will feel it. You will feel like your lifts will go lower. That's when you need to deload. Yeah. For sure. So how long do your deloads last? Say with Janet, how long do you, is this, that's just that workout? You is know, that a week? I've got a good is story it? about Janet actually. So in 2012, I had a new competitor. She was training. And I remember doing this program for Janet and it was really hard. A lot of volume. And um, Janet really responded well with volume. And she came in and I got her to that point where she actually looked worse. She felt like crap. And like she, she just wasn't getting the pump in the gym. And she came in and the numbers were a bit up uh, in terms of the body fat percentages all tracking. And yeah, she was at that point. My other competitor who was new, she wasn't anywhere near a deload. She was like peaking that week. Mm. And she had a smile on her face. Jenna didn't have a smile on her face. Yeah. First time ever, right? She always had a smile on her face. And I remember advice to one is we're going to push like a new competitor. We're going to push you, Janet. We're just going to do like easy bodybuilding for the rest of the week. And I just want you to eat like more food and write up some stuff eat more carbs the rest of the week, really easy week. Week later, all of the body fat points were down and completely blitzed the new competitor. Like she was just, she looked, Janet dwarfed her, right? The deload did wonders. And but the week before you would say, this one, the new competitor is 
it's, she, Janet looked really flat that week. And the reason why she looked flat was because we pushed her. We pushed everything. She looked flat for that reason. And then when we gave her the rest, she fully recovered. So it is a reactive deload. Sorry, was that the question you're yeah, asking? Yeah, yeah, it, 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 There is a, how do I say? There is an art to it. It's not an exact science, but I'm constantly watching my client. Well, the biofeedback and stuff. Watching. I remember I had, I had a guy who came in. He got on the seated row. Like, oh. I go, we're not training today. He goes, what? I go, dude, I've seen you. I've been watching you. He goes, he was just like, oh, thanks, man. I feel so fucked. And he's that guy. He was a competitor. He looked amazing. Amazing results, right? He shredded to the bone when he competed. And, but again, same case is I pushed him to the point and then pulled him back when he was just about to go over the ledge. And that's what, in terms of body composition, that's where you want to be playing is you want to get close to the ledge but you want to have someone there who knows exactly that we go any further mm. and the reason why I kind of, I'm really good at that is because I've gone over the ledge myself so many times mm -hmm. personally in my training because I haven't had someone who's been there for me to say Mark you're going home today yeah. I wish I had someone who said that to me when the days that I wanted to go home and needed because I wouldn't go home I, there was no way I was going home but that's where coach where I've been able to say to my like clients and stuff yeah out the competition would there be value in uh, harder when you reach that limit no you, what you're entering into is the forget his name but there was the, the bulgarian method and the russian method the russians are known for having a team of 12 olympian 12 a team of 12 olympic lifters all of them could probably break the record right and only one guy breaking the record but all of them are at a very high level and the bulgarian weightlifting team which is a matter of the survival of the fittest where everyone ends up broken because they go max every day. So that was built on the saying to personify it is if a rabbit doesn't run to 100% every day, it gets eaten by the wolf. So that kind of philosophy got translated to a training practice where you go maximal weight every single day. And there are only a few people in the world who can tolerate that intensity and volume. And most get injured from that. Most get injured and named and very few excel much more excel in this path is there can you push past that very few but when i say push past it is the thing of pushing past it is usually you just dig yourself into a deeper hole and you admit the protein admit not protein but you admit the gains that you would get the super compensation gains that you would get if you had allowed that rest time because the body it's the thing like if you it's fine to push hard but you need to allow enough time to dig the deeper the hole the more time for recovery you need. If you keep pushing and you, your lifts, if you're getting weaker, then that's a clear sign that you need, your nervous system now needs to recover. It's not a case of push harder. It's a case of allow recovery so you can get better. Because the goal isn't to push harder. The goal is to get better. And people conflate those things. As I say to people who started Enterprise, if I wanted to make you spew, I would. If I wanted it to be the hardest thing you've ever done, believe me, I could. But I want you to come back and I want you to enjoy it. And... I want you to smile every time you come in and look forward to it. Mm -hmm. So why do I want to make this the hardest thing you've ever done? Because that's not going to make you improve. It's actually going to do the opposite. And also the other thing from a training perspective is just putting you into a hole, that's not based on improvement. Like you're doing, say, 10 sets of 10 on a sled. That's, you're not improving. But if we can leave a little bit in the tank, this time you do 800 kilos, next time you do 105, next time you do 110, we slowly progress up. That's improvement. Even though you had one rep in the tank every workout, now we're improving. Our nervous system's getting stronger. It's not, it's, well, I say to people, stop chasing a feeling. 
let's investing. You can invest in a skeptical company. You can invest in crypto and feel smart. Or you can just save your money in your bank account and have saved money mm. <laughs> and do it consistently for 10 years and have money saved and know exactly where your money is, right? Or you can invest in, in poke coin or whatever skeptical coin there is because there's so many, right? Yeah. You can feel smart or you can actually be smart. Yeah. Yep, perfect. You, got, you want to do lucky last question? Yeah, I'll do one more. Yeah, so just about your training now. Have you got any goals or are you planning to do any photo shoots or go back into bodybuilding or anything like that? I don't think I'll go back into bodybuilding anytime soon. I was planning to do a powerlifting comp and then I got injured. And then I was planning to do another powerlifting comp and I got injured again. And I was Wait. planning to do another powerlifting comp and I got injured Is this again. the same injury or multiple injuries? <laughs> oh man, it's all of the injuries. You just need someone and to be like, today. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. No, it's been, it's been a wild couple of years actually. So training was going really well. I maxed out my squat 200 kilos. I've got a 240 kilo deadlift. I've got a 135 kilo bench. And then the squat, I tore my patella tendon. My quad, my quad patella tendon. Yes. That, that did take me back quite a bit. And so I've been working with that. And then I got my deadlift back up and then I had this thing where my lat kind of pulled and I wasn't able to raise my shoulder. And that, that took a little while to recover. And then it happened again on the other side because I was changing my deadlifting technique. Was that down to the alternated grip as well? No, nah, it wasn't. I would have. No, nah, it wasn't the alternated grip. It was really weird, but it was just a lot of strain in my lat because I don't usually hunch as mm. much as I normally hunch. And I went because the technique was working so well. I went from, I remember doing like 225 and I was doing reps with it. And then I was doing, I was like, man, this is the easiest I've ever lifted 225. And then I went to do my next set and that's when it happened. And I was like, fucking serious. Like mm. this, I would have broken my PB that next week for yeah. sure because the technique was so good and uh, the, the technique that I was using. So now I've gone back to just general strength training, not powerlifting. So actually James is helping me now. Yep. and a general manager and just general strength training just getting everything generally stronger build a good base and that's where like the other day i did the 50 kilo chin up so i'll get back some of these lifts that my base lifts like that aren't powerlifting base but let's say for example i used to be able to do 122 kilo incline bench press i was able to do a 65 62 kilo chin up 140 kilo squat 100 240 deadlift now there's no competitions for these lifts but they're the lifts that i find that if i'm strong at then my body is rock solid. I can yeah. run through a wall, particularly the front squat. So I've got a little ways to go for that front squat and I've got a little ways to go for the for the bench press. We'll get there. That's my goals at the moment. Nice. Well, best of luck with it, man. So Thank best you. of luck with it. Thank you. All right, guys, where can the folks learn more about you? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at Coach Jason Massey PT. I'll be there. And Jason? Um, <laughs> <laughs> time, yeah, you got to... Yeah, there you go, Shane. <laughs> yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Shane Fitness, the A... You replace that with an eight. Where can people buy the book if they want to know more? They can buy it at Enterprise Diet. So if you're in Australia, you can buy it at EnterpriseDiet.com. Actually, anywhere international, EnterpriseDiet.com. And you can make, place your order there. It is on Kindle. Um, so you can go on Amazon and buy it on Kindle. And it is going to be, probably by the time you watch this, it will be on paperback. And then the other place, it will be on Kindle, as in you can order the paperback on Kindle as well very very soon probably by the time you watch this it'll be on paperback and the audio will come eventually is it with your voice it will be with my voice wow. but i have no idea when it's coming out because it's going to be an awful lot of work i've got to adapt the whole text to talk it and obviously we stock them here at enterprise fitness and we stock them here at enterprise. so you can come into the studio if you're in melbourne come into the studio i'll give you a signed copy and uh, yeah. sign copy and my name is mark Atori, owner and founder of enterprise fitness i hope you've enjoyed this podcast and if you have i invite you to hit subscribe and leave us a review and better yet 
If you've enjoyed this, do share it with a friend and get the word out. We obviously make these podcasts for the love of podcasting and getting good information out. And even just sharing this with one person, I'm sure they would love to give you a high five and, and getting them on track with their nutrition and training goals. Till next time, folks, eat well, train hard and supplement smart.